Hello and welcome to the Bitten Word Podcast. I'm Christine. And I'm Ashley. So today we are going to be talking about The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Um, and we are making a cheese and Marmite sandwich, salt and vinegar crisps, we're going to be very British here, <laughs> and Brazilian honey cakes. Uh, so this is one which of those- is very British. <laughs> yes, which is very British. Um, this is one of those ones where I feel like there were a few good options, and so I just kind yeah. of like picked all of them. Um, <laughs> And then also there are mild spoilers ahead. I'm not going to like spoil the whole ending for you, but we kind of have to talk a little bit about events in the book. Yeah. Um, it's going to be like, so when we did our episode on Dark Matter, I said that this book was fairly similar, like it has a similar vibe. And so it's well, going to have... I don't know about vibe, but well, it does have a similar like, the plot the way that the plot works is similar yeah like like they're they're all just exploring different lives yeah basically have had um and so it has i guess a similar theme i don't know um but i it, it will have spoilers in a similar vein to that so if you were like really mad about a spoiling dark matter then don't listen to this until you read the book <laughs> um so this book was written in 2020, and it's about a woman named Nora who decides to kill herself. Um, once she has effectively died, she enters this space called the Midnight Library. And this is a place that's like somewhere in between life and death, um, where she's guided by a prominent figure in her life. In her case, it was her elementary school librarian who was there when she found out that her mom died. Or dad. Her dad, yeah. Um, so... Uh, this figure um, guides her through choosing alternate lives to live based on decisions she's made in her life. So the decisions are represented by books on shelves. And if she chooses one, she can live this other version of her life. But she jumps into it at the same point in her life that she just recently left. So like you know, if she was 30 years old when she died, she's still 30 years old when she jumps into this life and is just living, like, with the repercussions of everything that's happened before mm -hmm. based on the decision she made. Which makes it really awkward for her because she's like, I don't know what's going on, but I have to pretend like I know what's going yeah. on. <laughs> I gotta say, though, that, like, this is, okay, so in TV and movies and stuff, when people jump into situations like this where it's like, I'm supposed to pretend like I know what's going on, Mm -hmm. Everyone is so bad at it. And I really have to appreciate <laughs> that she does a good job of just jumping in and being like, yeah, I know who you are. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. You know, like she doesn't just come in and be like, oh, my gosh, where am I? Who are you? What's going on? Which I feel like is what always happens, even in like Quantum Leap, where that's literally the point is that he's jumping into other people's lives. He always gets there and is like, um, who are you? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? This is your whole job. So, yeah, I appreciate so she that. She should have been quantum leap. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. Um, 
So, for example, she chooses to live a life where she kept swimming competitively, whereas in her real life she stopped. So in this life she competed in the Olympics and was very successful and she's been doing lecture circuits and etc. But she doesn't actually get to experience those things. She just jumps in at, you know, 30-year-old self or however old she is in the book. And she finds out that these things have happened and she is living now with those things having happened in the past, like the life she would have lived you know coming out of it mm -hmm. and all of the repercussions of those decisions and sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad and sometimes it's just wow this is really different than what i would have thought um so it's interesting to see all the different lives she chooses and like how differently her life turns out based on like one small decision or one big mm -hmm. decision. yeah um so I don't want to spoil it too much, but, you know, she, um, when she experiences a life, um, if she kind of reaches a point where she's just kind of decides, you know what, this isn't for me, then she stops living that life, goes back to the midnight library. And if she, but she doesn't really have control over it. It's kind of yeah. like, it's a subconscious thing. Yeah. It's like if, if she, yeah, subconscious is a good word for it. Even in the back of her mind, if she has little doubts, then it'll yeah. start like fading away yeah um but there are lives that she lives for like a good amount of time even though she's kind of like yeah this isn't really probably not the life you know mm -hmm. um and so she gets to go back to the midnight library and choose another life and the thing is that if she finds a life that she decides she does want to live, then she gets to stay in that life permanently until the end of her natural life. But the weird thing is, is that she's actually taking over somebody else's life. Like her other self. Yeah. In a lot of these situations, usually there's either another one of you, right? Yeah. Um, like in Dark Matter, yeah. there are you know, you go and there's another Jason in there or like you take over completely and it's like, it's you, you're just in a different situation, but this is like, there's actually another Nora that she's like taking out of their body and doing what with, I don't know. But like some of the problem that she has is that like, well, I'm taking this away from somebody else who should be living this life you know, which is kind of an interesting, weird moral conundrum. So essentially she's being given a second chance at life. Um, can you think of any decisions in your life that you'd be interested like to live? I would be curious to know what would have happened if I had kept trying to do musical theater. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, like if I had not decided when I first got into my first semester of college doing it that everybody else wanted it way more than I did and that there was no way I would ever make it. <laughs> and so I just was like, okay, never mind. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I don't know. I feel similarly to art school. Like it would be interesting to see mm -hmm. if I'd stayed at art school. Okay, so similarly to her, when she was like nine, when her dad died, she had, um, she was like, I want to be a glaciologist, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be an Egyptologist. So what would have happened if oh. I'd kept going that way? Yeah, when I was about her age, I had all kinds of books about 
that. And that was super fun. Um, I also wanted to be like a forensics expert, like go into crime scenes and do blood spatter patterns. Um, and also possibly in college at some point, I also considered uh, doing like working at an auction house for art mm. um, or something like that. So those are all different things that would have been completely different choices that would have been interesting. Yeah. A lot of hers do have to do with like careers. Yeah, they do. Um, so yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I had ever like actually considered doing like anything culinary as a career, but that would be interesting to like see what that would have been like if I had like decided to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think when I was in like middle school, I wanted to get into like robotics because I wanted to build animatronics for Disney. A lot of your jobs center around working they for Disney. Really do. <laughs> Honestly, they really do. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And then I wanted to be a magician. Uh, when I yeah, was I was going to say there was that one. 13. Uh, so I don't know. A lot of there there would have been a lot of interesting paths there yeah um, although something i do think is funny that in that is that in this book all of her career choices are like really successful like she doesn't yes. say i had an interest in this and then she does it and she's like oh yeah i was horrible at it you know <laughs> or like well, i ended up pouring on the street i think that there are like so many lives because the librarian basically says that they're infinite right mm -hmm. so I think what happens is she says well what if I was a glaciologist and the librarian just directs her to the one where that is the most successful version of yeah. events here I guess that's true yeah because there are like decisions within that right so it could have branched mm -hmm. into like thousands of different paths or more yeah hmm. interesting okay um so Something that I thought was interesting is that we do get a glimpse of other people who have are also experiencing the Midnight Library. Mm -hmm. And we learn that not everyone experiences this in-between space as a library. Uh, one person instead has a video store and the his guide is his uncle. And um, his different lives are represented as like VHS tapes. And then he also lists other versions of um, Midnight Libraries as art galleries, casinos, and restaurants. And I'm Things like, that he's, like, travelers he's run into. Yes. I'm very intrigued by the restaurant one. Like, I know, right? You get to, like, sit down and eat a meal, and that's what leads you <laughs> into your life. Like, I guess maybe a menu choice. I'd rather yeah, eat, though. I know. Me, too. That sounds more fun. I'm just, like, I'm in... I, I just want a book where we explore all the different midnight libraries and what right? they're like. like. Gosh, that would be super interesting. And I'm wondering too, like what directs you into a specific one? Like what, so I'm assuming that in her case, 
it was the library because her guide was the librarian because she was yes. a big point in her life. Yes. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, what exactly would make it like an art gallery or a casino or a restaurant? Like, is it, you know, yeah. just, you know, your life experiences or one really important moment of your life or your like job? This is where or... your mentor was or yeah. this is where you got happy fuzzies or yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, can mine be Disneyland? And then all the rides are yes, <laughs> all the attractions. Yep, choose a new ride, or you go get a Mickey popsicle or whatever. And <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so we have two different scenes here today. Um, the first is the uh, Brazilian honey cake scene, and the second is the cheese and marmite sandwich scene. So we are gonna do. Um, the brazilian scene so coming into this um she's living a life where she kept playing with her band um and she's become a very famous musician she is world renowned um and she finds she jumps into this life as she's playing a concert in brazil and so then she's finished the concert um you know and everybody loves her and she's doing all these amazing things she finds out that she was dating this like really famous actor that she Which, liked yeah previously in the book he's been mentioned a few times as like the one that she likes watching you know yeah um and so now she is coming off of her like private plane and she is going into a hotel room um and her manager is there um, and this is where we, we find her when we see the Brazilian honey cakes. And then as she entered it, she tried to act like this was all perfectly normal. This gigantic room leading to another gigantic room leading to a gigantic bathroom. There was a vast bouquet of flowers for her with a note signed by the hotel's manager. Wow, she resisted saying. She gazed around at the lavish furnishings, the sweeping floor-to-ceiling curtains, the pristine white bed the size of an acre the TV the size of a small cinema, the champagne on ice, the silver tray full of Brazilian honey cakes, as the card informed them. Don't suppose you'll be having any of these, said Joanna, taking one of the little delicacies from the tray. Now you're on that new plan. Harley said I had to keep an eye on you. Nora watched Joanna bite into one of the cakes and wondered how good any plan could be if it didn't involve eating something so clearly delicious as a Brazilian honey cake. She had no idea who Harley was, but she knew she didn't like him. I wouldn't like him either. <laughs> Directly before this scene, after she has talked to her ex-boyfriend, the famous actor, um, she tweets, you can have everything and feel nothing. Um, and so, and that's kind of the life that she's living right now is one where she mm -hmm. has everything, but she's alone. Like when she leaves this concert where she's like, you know, loved by the whole world, she comes home, she comes to this hotel room and it's just her manager there. And then she leaves and she's by herself. Um, and her life is micromanaged. You know, she talks to her, um, manager about what's next on her agenda and, it's just one thing after another and she has no time to herself and she's not even allowed to eat these sweets. Like there's yeah. a give and take. And even though the life seems perfect on the outside, it's actually really isolating. Um, 
And so here I feel like the honey cakes just kind of serve to showcase like the give and take of these lives. Mm-hmm. She lives other lives that are not as exciting as that, but that are a lot more fulfilling. Um, and she's giving up some things, you know, she's giving up things for other things. And here she's got, you know, the fame and the popularity and the attention of the world, but she goes home by herself. And to some extent, I feel like, these honey cakes probably represent some type of perfection that she's searching for, but just can't have. Yeah. Like, because it's easy to look at this life from the outside and be like, you know, you're a famous rock star. Everybody loves you. Your life is obviously perfect. You have all this money. You fly on private jets, you know, but then it's like, yeah, but I can't eat the honey cake. I can't, you know, and I'm by myself. And yeah. Is she really actually enjoying any of these things or yeah. Is it just the way her life is, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, and she talks about this sometimes in other lives too, where it's like, you know, this is a good life. I have everything laid out for me and it's, you know, it's wonderful, but I'm not happy. There's no spark. Yeah. There's no Generally, I feel like that's how it goes in this book is that she's looking for perfection, but the more she searches for it, the more elusive it is because like what else is out there could that one be perfect and the catch is too that once she lives part of that life she can never go back to it like that that one's gone Mm -hmm. yeah and we see this too like um towards the end one of the lives that she spends the longest in was my favorite life that I would have stayed. Oh, me too. I was like, why didn't you stay here? (laughs) I know. Uh, um, Like, it was a fairly normal life. Like, people live. And I I don't know exactly why she left, but it was like, but it did. It was like, she was obviously the happiest in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it wasn't like she was a rock star or a famous scientist or, or anything like that. It was just kind of a regular every day, you know, got married, had kids life. Yeah. Um, and the decision she made here to change was a very small one and it had nothing to do with careers, which yeah. is what she had kind of focused on before. Yes. Okay. So scene two um in this life she's living a life where she continued to work in an animal shelter instead of uh quitting which she had been working there and she left um so she finds herself going through just a regular day um where she goes to the animal shelter and she's been taking care of dogs all day and she sits down to eat lunch there was one man who worked there called dylan who had a natural way with all the dogs he was about her age maybe younger he had a kind gentle sad look about him his long surf dude hair golden as a retriever he came and sat next, to Nora, sat next to Nora on the bench at lunch, overlooking the field. What are you having today? He asked, sweetly, nodding to Laura, Nora's lunchbox. She honestly didn't know. She had found it already prepared when she'd <laughs> opened her magnet and calendar cluttered fridge that morning. She peeled off the lid to find a cheese and Marmite sandwich and a packet of salt and vinegar chips. The sky darkened and the wind picked up. Oh, crap, Nora said. It's going to rain. Maybe, but the dogs are still in their cages. Sorry? Dogs can smell when rain is coming, so they often head indoors if they think it's going to happen. Isn't that cool? That they can predict the future with their nose? Yeah, said Nora. Way cool. (laughs) Nora bit into her cheese sandwich, and then Dylan put his arm around her. 
So now here she's eating a bag of chips and a cheese and Marmite sandwich. Uh, this meal, in contrast to the honey cakes, is kind of like a boring everyday meal. I mean, the honey cakes are described as a delicacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in Brazil. It's not yes. something she's normally like, going to get in England. It's like kind of exotic, you know, and it's, yeah. it's not in her normal routine. This is probably something she eats a lot. Um, so she's kind of just living out the monotony of existence in this life with a guy who later she says that the conversation she has with this guy is like not at all riveting you know and so she's like this guy is just kind of boring like he's nice and he has like 50 dogs yeah but he has no (laughs) substance this guy is a dog i mean honestly like when you read this chapter he really is just a dog um you know i was even thinking it when i was rereading she said his hair was golden like a retriever and then he's like yeah for lunch and i just imagined like a dog sidling up to him being like Hey, what are you eating? <laughs> like, oh, wait, you can't have any. Um, but, you know, she's just with this guy who's kind of boring. He doesn't have any interesting conversation. And the day is just sort of routine. Same thing in day in and day out. And mm-hmm. I think the food is interesting here because she didn't know what was in her lunchbox. The version of herself that had been living this life already prepared it for her. And so this is the version who has been living this life for probably years. Mm-hmm. And so she got this Marmite and salt and vinegar chips, both of which are like really strong polarizing flavors. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. You need regular chips with a Marmite sandwich, right? Not salt and vinegar chips. It's a lot of flavor. It's, yeah, it's just a lot. Um, Overwhelming flavors. Mm -hmm. But they're bagged chips. The sandwich itself is like nothing to write home about. It's literally bread, cheese, and Marmite. It feels like she's trying, though, to like spice up her life with these like strong, bold flavors because it's like the only aspect of her life that she can really control and like make more exciting. But these flavors are still framed in these like really boring prepackaged meal items. And mm-hmm. so it's like she's doing what she can, but at the end of the day, it's just Marmite and salt and vinegar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel like those are two, like, really interesting kind of polarizing things where you have, like, the flash and the bang life with the flash and the bang food, you know, but that falls flat versus the super boring life with super boring food that is not in any way fulfilling. And so it's it's kind of like she's seeing all, you know, all the extremes of what her life could be and kind of, mm-hmm. and I think in the end, she kind of chooses like what's in the middle and kind of like what gives her a sense of both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the food. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot to say about the Brazilian honey cakes. They're really hard to find information about. Really? That's yeah, interesting. You- yeah, I don't know. I would. I thought there would be some like an interesting story here or something. But so basically, these honey cakes—they're not what I was imagining when I me neither, them. not even um, close. And so I was honestly surprised. But as far like as we can tell, these these honey cakes are like the Brazilian version of gingerbread, sort of. So the thing about Brazil is it has it's sort of a melange of cultures. I mean, it was it yeah. was settled by um, the Portuguese, right? But it's you get a lot of like other culture from Europe and food. And then there's like, you know, obviously it's in South America. So there's a lot of other like South American influence. Um, so, you know, this is 
you have like the gingerbread which is like really british um and then it's coated in chocolate which is like really south american you know and so it's kind of like a blend of both and it's got a uh, dulce de leche in the middle which is mm -hmm. like also very south american and so the i guess the chocolate coating is is meant to kind of keep it moist and have it like last longer that makes sense like yeah like a regular gingerbread but ultimately it's just a spiced cake layered with dulce de leche and dipped in chocolate um so then the marmite i have a little more to say about marmite so marmite was created in 1902 and it is a savory food spread that is a yeast-based product. And if that sounds horrible, it's because it is. Um, <laughs> Sorry, all you Brits out there. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it is a byproduct of beer brewing. Ew. And, yeah, no it, wonder it's gross. Ugh. The thing is that this guy who, who discovered it or invented it or whatever it is, yeah, he did. He just like was like, ah, this byproduct of beer brewing, you can eat it. Like, what was what that, was the thought process? Okay, that is that but that is exactly the thought process of all food production people. They're like, well, we have all this waste. What yeah. can we do with it? Right. Mm -hmm. And so if they can't feed it to humans, they feed it to, you know, cows and pigs or whatever. Um, and so they're always doing that. They're trying to find a way to use up their extras so that they can continue to feed their bottom line, right? Yeah. Um Yes. So the most common use for it is spread on toast, like a very small amount spread on toast with like butter. Um, but apparently it can be made into a savory hot drink by adding one teaspoon to a mug of hot water, much like Oxo or Bovril. Ew. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself here a little bit because Bovril is on our list. I know. <laughs> so I'm like, I didn't Gross. realize that's exactly what Bovril was. So like, I knew that Bovril was like a, was like a savory drink. Um, and I'm assuming it kind of tastes so like gross. gravy. I know, but Ew. I, it's going to okay. taste like that Nuka-Cola you made. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, that's so gross. Now I'm really not looking forward to that. But the thing is, I don't understand why a savory drink sounds nasty to me when I drink soup, which is basically a savory drink, right? Like, um, I don't understand. The other day, so a while ago when I was sick, I drank a mug of like chicken broth. Mm -hmm. And Will thought that was like the weirdest. He's like, why are you drinking chicken broth? Because I, I feel like that's what mom used to do for us was like, yeah, give us a hot mug of chicken broth. I've done she, that before. She did. So it, I maybe that's weird. I don't know. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm just imagining like, but see, that's the thing. Drinking hot chicken broth for some reason sounds different to me than me like using like a, a broth base and then drinking like that. better than bouillon yeah like i don't know, I don't know. Like, it sounds it sounds different but it's probably really not no it's probably not but i don't know for some reason i expect drinks to be either neutral or sweet yeah. like i don't Salty's want them kind to of be strange. salty yeah hmm. i don't know well i wonder if it has sort of like a no, uh, maybe not. I was gonna say. I wonder if it has sort of a beery. I was wondering that too. Flavor, like because it's 
a beer byproduct i don't know i was kind of hoping that bavro was going to be like powder though and not like paste i don't know why that sounds easier to deal with but i, I don't know because i've never had bavro but we'll find out when we do buffy the vampire slayer eventually um so anyway i have kind of a funny story where i have a i had a british friend who um she i asked her one time if she ate marmite because i had a jar of marmite that i had used like a pea size amount from for our blog and was like i'm never gonna eat this again do you mm -hmm. want this you know and so and she was like yeah i eat it like every day on my toast and i was like awesome <laughs> here's a jar of marmite um so anyway she was telling me she lived with her uh father her parent oh my gosh she was telling me she lived with her in-laws at the time and that one morning she was putting marmite on her toast and i guess her father-in-law thought that it was like chocolate spread and he like came up and like licked the knife and was like ah <laughs> <laughs> that would be the worst thinking it's chocolate and getting oh, marmite Ugh. No. um so oh by the way if you have like if you've never heard of marmite it's essentially the same thing as vegemite so and i feel like you have to have heard of vegemite it's similar yeah and i've never actually had marmite i have had vegemite though when we were in australia and that was like 22 years ago and I still am like, ugh. <laughs> <about it. laughs> well, so what I what I read was that Marmite, I mean, they're the same thing. It's just that Mardite, Marmite is like a milder version of Vegemite. Okay. And so Vegemite, maybe it won't be Aspa? Yeah, I think, yeah. So Vegemite is um is an Australian product, whereas Marmite is the British product. Um so apparently it is commonly used to enrich casseroles and stews, which I could see it in that manner. Like I could understand cooking yeah. Marmite. Well, it would be like turmeric. Like I will put turmeric oh, yeah. in things when there's other stuff. But if I'm drinking turmeric in water, it tastes like dust and I don't want it. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and there's a lot of things like that, like star anise, like ugh, the anise yeah. flavor is just like, whoa. no, but I have had some like fall kind of food with like spice mixes that include anise and i'm like okay yeah so, not bad there's just small some, amount yeah some foods that you can tone it down and it's fine so i can understand it as yeah like a way to kind of like beef up the flavor of stews and things um because it does contain it is like used a lot to add like that umami flavor to things because it mm -hmm. contains a lot of like glutamate um which if you don't know what we're talking about, like MSG, monosodium glutamate, that's basically what it is, is like powdered umami. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, actually, I like, what was it? I like read or watched, I can't remember, a whole thing about like MSG and how it's like actually not as bad for you as you, as they think it is. It was like, it was just one of those things where it's like somebody wasn't making money because of MSG. And so they're like, MSG is bad for you. Hmm. Um well, but I think what I had heard about MSG was not that it itself was necessarily bad for you, but that it kind of created an addictive quality to the food so that you would keep eating it and eating it and eating it. So you would eat way more than what you really needed and that that was what was unhealthy. I can see that. Um, the thing that I, whatever I was consuming <laughs> um was interesting though because it was saying like you know there's a whole like like 
I don't know, culture surrounding like umami food, you know, they're like, this yeah, is the umami burger, and it has mushrooms and you know, all these other things that have the umami flavor. And everybody's all like, you know, but those things naturally contain the glutamate. And that's why they have the umami flavor. Interesting. And so they're like, and so they're like, so you're just basically eating msg like, this is msg with more steps you know kind of thing yeah um, that's interesting now i'm really curious because i know that trader joe's sells an umami blend like in their spice rack and i have never tried it but now i'm curious like what's in it yeah if it's more or less just comes out MSG? being msg yeah <laughs> oh so something i thought was kind of funny was that apparently at least for a while their slogan was love it or hate it <laughs> <laughs> um because it has a reputation for being like absolutely disgusting if you haven't like grown up eating it yeah um so i don't remember if i tried vegemite i feel like i probably did well you were you were little though you were only like eight when we were there so yeah i don't know if you um, remember i don't remember i do remember that when we were at um when we were at um uluru aka Ayers rock um we there was like food like we were just like sitting watching the sunset or something and there was like food put out and there was caviar and i didn't know what it was and i ate some and then blake was like you're gonna grow a fish in your stomach and i was <laughs> so <laughs> oh my gosh that's such a little brother thing to do one of these jets <laughs> or older brother thing to do, I guess the, one of these jets, um, that are constantly flying over my house because I live where the Thunderbirds practice. So they're constantly going and it's really annoying actually. Um, but one of those jets flew over the house yesterday, I guess, while Brett and I were not home and Kennedy texted me and was like, roll eye face emoji. Beckham told Bryce that one of those planes has missiles on it. And now Bryce is really scared. <laughs> That's exactly what, yeah, an older brother would yeah. say. Older brother. Ooh, that plane's hijinks. coming for us. It's got missiles on it. No, it's a show airplane. <laughs> Why are brothers like that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand it. Um, geez. Uh, so apparently in British culture, Mar marmite the term marmite is used as a metaphor for something that is an acquired taste or tends to polarize opinion mm. um which i thought was kind of interesting i've never heard that before i haven't like, either it makes sense um i wonder how many like what the percentage is of brits who like marmite like is it way higher because they grew up with it and there's just a few people who just really don't like it and don't or is it like half and half like i don't know i'm curious about that it says that 25 percent of brits take marmite with them when they travel outside of the country oh really that's yeah, like so, serious dedication yeah so it must be fairly popular but you know what that tells me it's addictive <laughs> that msg that msg so um something i thought was kind of interesting was on the cover part of their logo there's like a uh like a pot that's got like the marmite in it and it's called a marmite and it's french. oh really yeah it's like an earthenware pot and it's a french thing oh, um is that where they got the name from i guess so um because it says that marmite was sold in those in marmites um oh until, like the cute. 20s 
went to yeah and then it started being sold in like glass and then plastic um so yeah i thought it was kind of cute um but so part of the popularity of marmite is due to the fact that marmite is rich in vitamin b and during world war one there were a lot of vitamin b deficiencies and so this was used mm. as a way to boost it um and it was also part of soldiers rations i cannot believe the amount of foods that we have talked about that have been made popular through world war one or world war two yeah and have been part of soldiers rations honestly like, it makes me wonder like how freaking big were these ration packs <laughs> like yeah everything that we've talked about is everything yeah in them. so there have been a few like special edition releases of marmite and i love all of them i'm stuck why because <laughs> that sounds weird <laughs> oh, it is okay so the first was a super strength version of marmite called that sounds Mar terrible <laughs> it was called marmite xo the xo standing for extra old um, extra old yes. <laughs> like they had a batch they forgot about in the warehouse and they're like <laughs> let's slap this on there and see if people will buy it uh okay so it was it matured for 28 days which is four times longer than normal Gross. and yeah and apparently it returned due to popular demand so why don't they just buy vegemite i don't if Vegemite's know. supposed to be stronger ew yeah, I don't does know. it have like no expiration date does it does it just last forever well it probably does like as a yeast byproduct i mean i'm like yeast probably gets it probably it probably gets gross does it does it like keep maturing after you buy it? I don't know. Good question. Because I've had mine for a little bit, so <laughs> it says it has a shelf life of up to two years. Hmm. I wonder what the maturing process is then. I found out recently though that well, it's probably something about like allowing it to ferment. So I mean you think about like you know bottles of wine and stuff when you talk about like aged wine it has to be aged like in the production facility like in a barrel or however they're aging it it's yeah not like if you just you know if it's once it's been bottled if you hang on to it for 20 years that doesn't mean it's been aged another 20 years yeah and so this might be something similar i did find out though that um food there's like an expiration date which is like before they can so they have to like like a sell by date they have to sell it by that date they cannot keep mm -hmm. it on their shelves but most food also has like a completely separate like will sustain life date and so it's one of those things where it's like you know you can you know it's not going to be great but you can eat it it will kill you so like you can interesting yeah so it's like you could save it for like an emergency situation hmm okay yeah um Okay, so other special editions of Marmite. So there was a Summer of Love special edition that had a flower power themed label, and it was made using 100% lager yeast. Why um, would that be flower power? I don't what know. Is, what is the connection there? I, I don't know. I wasn't at Woodstock, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, that was like in sometime since the 2000s, so I don't know. I don't know who designated the, the summer of love either. Yeah. But 
Um, this is for Valentine's Day in 2008. They released a Selfridges of London exclusive product um, that used 0.3% champagne and had a heart label. And it said, I love you in place of the logo. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I wonder how different these things taste. I, yeah, I don't know. I was wondering about the champagne because I was like, I don't, I feel like you wouldn't be able to taste it. Yeah. 0.3% champagne content. So I just feel like it would not make much of a difference. Maybe it's smoother. I don't know. It was probably also like 10 times more expensive than normal Marmite because it was at Selfridges and had champagne in it. Right. Probably. (laughs) Um, there's also chocolate Marmite. That sounds like chocolate hummus, which sounds gross. Oh, I, just, I don't like hummus anyway. It depends on the hummus. If you get it fresh made at an actual Greek or like Mediterranean restaurant, then it's really good. But store-bought hummus is usually gross. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is just for um, context for this next one. Um, Queen Elizabeth has been on the throne for 70 years now, and this year is her Platinum Jubilee, which I don't think is a Jubilee they have ever had. Interesting. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering at this point, are they just like making up, you know, oh, yeah. stones and, and of course they are for Jubilees? Like, I don't know what's after Diamond uh, Platinum. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... That's this year. In 2012, Queen Elizabeth II was celebrating her Diamond Jubilee. Um, and they released a Union Jack labeled bottle that had a red cap and a crown instead of the Marmite. And it was called Mamite. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. That was like uh, okay. my favorite. So what we've determined is that it's a bad idea to like give food to the queen or like name things after her because this is so dumb. And that fish stick sandwich. And like, yeah, yeah, it is. It's weird. Okay. But I have something else that kind of leads back to the fish stick sandwich. Oh, you do? Okay. So later in the same year. Um, they created a Christmas version of the Diamond Jubilee Marmite. And this was their like golden, I don't know, version of the Diamond Jubilee Marmite. Um, and it included gold colored flecks. Oh my gosh. Just like the gold covered flecks. Oh <laughs> <laughs> They're like, if the queen's going to eat it, there better be gold on it. <laughs> I know. This honestly, this really makes me wonder, like, I want to interview Queen Elizabeth and be like, how much weird food have you been presented in the name of like it being a British staple and how much of it was gold? Yes. And when all she wants is a biscuit cake. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like the most simple thing in the entire world. I don't want it to be covered in gold. <laughs> uh, um, kind of a metal problem in her blood after a while. I know, right? A lot of gold buildup. Um, this did say, though, gold-colored flakes, not actual uh, gold flakes, and so I'm kind of wondering. Not, the Marmite's not as bougie as the fish sticks. I guess I guess so. <laughs> I guess that that uh, Champagne Valentine's Day Selfridges Marmite was more expensive than their Diamond Jubilee Marmite. Yeah, it must have been. <clears throat> so now it is time for us to rate our Brazilian honey cakes and our cheese and Marmite sandwiches. Um, so first, we are going to rate for time. So 
Ashley, for the honey Brazilian honey cakes, what do you rate time? Okay, we are giving it de baguette. Um, because there are several components to it, like you have to make the cakes, you have to like sandwich the cakes with dulce de leche, and then you also are, have to cover the cakes in chocolate, which was the most time-consuming and annoying part. And something else I actually didn't consider until just now is that if you don't, if you can't find dulce de leche, then you have to make it, and that's mm. a hassle. In which case, I think it goes down to a one yeah. at that point. So then for ease, the honey cakes also get a two. Honestly, for a lot of the same reasons, because if you have to make the dulce de leche, it's kind of a hassle because it has to like sit in your oven or in a crock pot for like two hours and it can burn really easily. Um, you know, just having to sandwich them and dip them. Dipping them is hard because they're large. Mm -hmm. So yeah, two for time, two for ease. But it is time to taste them now so we can rate them for taste. They're, they're big. They smelled like something I couldn't quite place. Like when I was making them, they reminded me of something, but I couldn't remember what. Mm, I feel like gingerbread was a good idea, like a good thought. You have to take pictures of yours and send them to me because yours are way prettier than mine. Oh, okay. Hmm. Like mine... So Christine's honey cakes look way different than mine. Her instructions, I guess she used a slightly different recipe and she kind of flattened out the muffin shape. Whereas I didn't have that instruction on the recipe that I used. And so mine like looked like hourglasses except inverted. Like it was like <laughs> big in the middle and like skinny on either end. And hmm. that, that looks more like a, like a sandwich cake, like a moon yeah. cake or something moon pie that's what it said it was like you know basically make whoopie pies and then dip them in chocolate and... mm -hmm. um honestly so every year for fall growing up our mom made pumpkin cookies chocolate chip pumpkin cookies mm -hmm. and this tastes a lot like that to me does it yeah hmm. i think it's just got a lot of the same spices yeah, it does. That little bit of chocolate. Mm-hmm. It's good. Um, I thought it was going to be gooier. Like, so did I. They Well, yours might be denser than mine were because you compacted the cake. Yeah. Um, but because I didn't, mine were, considering that it was gingerbready, it was really light which was weird yeah. to me because I usually expect gingerbread to be a little bit more like really dense. thick and dense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a little compacted, but honestly, the cake is really moist. Um, and then I think the dulce de leche just makes it moister. Yeah. Um, sorry for everybody who had to listen to me say moist twice. Three times. <laughs> Three um, times. So, but yeah, it's, Honestly, it's better than I thought it would be. I yeah. So, I had a vision in my mind that was not, like, spiced and gingerbready. Yeah. And so I was kind of disappointed to find out that this is what it was going to be like. But I like it more than I thought it would be based on just, like, the pictures. For whatever reason, all the pictures looked like they would be dry or something. Yeah. Or, like, 
it would be more biscuity or I don't know, but this is really good. It is. It's like a little cake. Um, they're large enough that you have to take multiple bites, but they're still small where you could like eat one and that could like, you know, mm-hmm. satisfy your sweet tooth for the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of dulce de leche and everybody hates I- me now. But. No, I'm not a huge fan of it either. I prefer regular caramel. I think sweetened condensed milk is, it's like way too sweet for me most of the time. And dulce de leche is just caramel made with sweetened condensed milk. Um, yeah, I agree. So I think I, I prefer regular caramel. That being said, though, I, I did actually really enjoy that. Yeah, I thought it was decent as well. So Ashley then is going to uh, rate taste for us. So we are going to award, I don't know how to say half, deux and a half baguette uh, for this. And I think we explained the last time this happened that we will award half baguettes if Christine and I feel differently about it. So I felt that, like it was more like a two. Um, I couldn't finish my cake. I, I didn't love the flavor enough to finish it um but christine said she'd be willing to give a three so we'll do the end a half um this is with the caveat too that we use two different recipes so our spice mixes yeah. might be different that's um, true ultimately it's the same thing it's just the spiced cake with the dulce de, le- dulce de leche mm-hmm. in chocolate but um you know sometimes some recipes are better than others so um that's something to keep in mind okay so now the moment you've all been waiting for is the cheese and marmite sandwich yay Um, i scraped this as flat as i possibly could on my bread oh really i actually added more so we we talked about like how much to put on it and i read a long time ago that you can put like a pea-sized amount particularly if you're new to my marmite a pea-sized amount over like an entire piece of bread but mine didn't really spread that way and so mine didn't either yeah i I had had to put more than a pea-sized yeah yeah um but it's it's more like viscous than i would have thought like it's like it's more like sticky i thought it was like gonna be like a grainy paste that that's kind of what was in my mind yeah it it was looser than i was thinking Mm -hmm. yeah i agree not as thick even though it's still like it's like honey that's kind of what i would compare it to in in how it's except maybe slightly thicker like a really thick honey uh that's kind of the texture yeah um out of interest what kind of cheese did you use um i'm using an extra sharp cheddar okay but just like regular store extra sharp cheddar not like fancy extra sharp cheddar i was gonna say i used dubliner because that's just what we had okay um so but that is also like a sharp cheddar but it's got a bit of a funk to it yeah um super good yeah so my sandwich might be very funky um also so we did this we also did two different things with the sandwich so in the book we assumed that she was eating a cold cheese and marmite sandwich because mm-hmm. so she made just, it ahead of time and it was in the fridge right yeah so ashley just did a slice of cheese mm-hmm. um i though when i was looking up cheese and marmite sandwiches almost everything i found was like a grilled cheese and marmite 
And so I made a grilled cheese and marmite. And so we've got kind of like two different versions of the same sandwich, one based on the actual book form and one based on like what maybe people are actually eating a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe that's just like a recent thing. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, okay, so for time, uh, we are rating this trois baguettes because it's a sandwich. I mean, you just slap yeah. it on and it's Real done. Fast. Yeah. Um, and then for the same reason, it gets trois baguettes for ease. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, it's, it takes a little more time and effort if you're making a grilled cheese, but not much. Yeah, not much. You were back almost as fast as I was. Yeah, to well, be honest. I, I already had my stuff laid out, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I opened my Marmite to make the sandwich and I smelled it first. And it was not as off putting as I was expecting. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, too. To me, it just smelled kind of beefy. Yeah, kind of like gravy is kind of like what I was thinking. There's a little bit of a, like, tang to it or something that's different, but I was expecting to be repulsed. And although it doesn't smell, like, really good and really appealing, I wasn't immediately disgusted. So, yeah, that's good. I did actually lick a little bit off of my knife. Oh, did you? Yeah, and it... And again, I just kind of got that beefy thing, but I did get an after flavor that was kind of pretty bitter. Not pleasant. Yeah. And so I think if you ate a lot of it, it would be gross. That's why Um, you need a pea-sized amount. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. All right. Okay. I mean, I put barely any on here, so. Can you taste it? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, the cheese is a little bit more obvious of a flavor, Um, but it's not, but I can, I can taste it and it's not as disgusting as I was thinking. So yeah, I can taste it. Um, It is a little bit bitter. Honestly, this is not my favorite cheese in the world. I don't love the funk of it. Um... And so I think a lot of it's coming from the cheese. Yeah. And I am getting, it just tastes like the same cheese, but with more umami flavor. Yeah. that That's I mean, kind of what I'm getting to. Yeah. So it's not bad. I mean, I could see how on certain sandwiches with certain cheeses, this could be probably really good. Yeah. Um, um or if there are other components to the sandwich or yeah. like, like you said, putting it in casseroles and stuff, I feel like actually it would be pretty good for that uh, I could see this in, you know putting it in like a really meaty like beef stew or something yeah dang we had beef stew last night oh. yeah it's not bad I took three bites so I mean yeah, no. that's what I was thinking I took multiple bites so yeah it's not horrible I think it probably depends yeah I think a lot of this probably just depends on what you're making how you're making it how much marmite you're including. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe, though, if you just licked a ton of it off a knife, though, that it would be horrible. Yeah. But now after seeing it, I understand more how he could have mistaken it for a chocolate spread. Yeah. Because when I was thinking it was all grainy, I was like, how would you think that's a chocolate spread? Right. But yeah. because of the way it looks, actually, you could. Yeah. it's And it's very dark in color. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it does look different from like Nutella or something, you know, but yeah, yeah, it does. Um, it's not as creamy. It's more like honey. 
like I said, you know, the way it looks too. It's kind of got that. Yeah, exactly. So Ashley's going to rate taste for us for the Marmite sandwich. Okay. So we decided to award the baguette because it's not something that we feel like we want to eat every day. You know, it wasn't just absolutely amazingly delicious, but it wasn't gross. And I think I was like fully coming into this expecting to award zero stars. Like I was yeah. going to barf, right? Um, so actually I'm, I'm really surprised by this de baguette. I am too. I mean, I honestly, I expected it to taste bad. Yeah. Um, maybe not like, yeah, maybe not like it was going to make me barf, but like, I wouldn't like it. We have um, all our bricks clearing. Yay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> um that's it uh today for the midnight library thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed it um if you would like to see pictures of our food um you can join us on twitter at the bitten pod or on instagram at the bitten word podcast if you have comments questions suggestions want to just talk to us you can send us an email at the bitten word podcast at gmail.com you can also uh, check out our website to find kind of everything in one place, which is the bitten word podcast.weebly.com. Um, and if you are so inclined, we would love it if you could rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us and just kind of spreads the word. Also, tell your friends if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Um, join us next week for The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Uh, we're going to be making Il Flotante, and that is our last episode of, what is this, season five? Mm-hmm. Season five. So until then, happy reading and bon appetit. <laughs>